Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a new podcast showcasing the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of What's Your Why? We wanted to bring an alternative feel to the table with our next guest, and given his credentials in life, he brings just that. With his tagline, Have Voice, Will Travel, I marvel to think that he even needs an introduction. Peter Doubleday has been a significant force in the broadcasting and equestrian industries for 40 plus years. I'm ever grateful that our paths crossed, dare I say it, about 20 years ago, and I'm thankful for the knowledge and insight that crossing has afforded me in my personal and professional development. I hazard a guess in saying that he's been the eyes and ears, as he puts it, at almost every major North American equestrian competition since he jumped in in 1972. From the smallest run operation to the most impressive events like the Olympic Games, Peter has played an impressive role in shaping and developing the broadcasting aspect of equestrian sport. He creates a feel like no other with his facts, figures, and delivery. He brings a certain je ne sais quoi to every event he's involved with, where all you need to do is listen to feel right at home. Peter's warm, inviting personality is a welcome relief at many of these events, and if you know the Peter Doubleday that I know, he's always supportive and available to offer a helping hand if needed. I hope you enjoy this time spent with Peter Doubleday. And thanks again for listening. For you, uh, the word that comes to mind for me is versatility. I mean, you're so versatile. I've known you for, I want to say, 20 plus years. And I know that you've been in the industry for 40 plus years. You're so versatile across the board. And I would love to be able to talk about that and how that's been in your life and how you've created that versatility for yourself. Hopefully someone will be able to resonate with it. But my very first question is about your Uncle Abner. I don't think that many people know it. You've told me this story before, but he's credited with inventing baseball. Baseball is so huge in Canada. I would like to maybe know a little bit about that and know if it affected you growing up and did it help you define your role in athletics at all? He was my great, great uncle, Uncle Abner. And it really didn't affect me in high school, basically later in life. I never associated with the inventor of baseball as I was growing up. I loved playing baseball. I went to Cooperstown, New York, where it's the home of baseball, where he designed the first diamond. Abner Double was in uh, the Union Army in the United States, uh, went to West Point. And uh, upon graduating from West Point, he designed the actual diamond that is used in modern baseball. So so anyways, there are other people say he did not invent it, but his name is all over Cooperstown, New York. Uh, it's fun going to Cooperstown, New York, seeing my name everywhere. Right, you're famous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. It, it didn't really affect anything, but I do enjoy baseball very, very much. And people do ask me everywhere I go, are you related to Abner Doubleday? So and I said, yes, I am. I think later on, I studied the genealogy and figured out a few things. And I said, wow, that's pretty cool. When I was growing up, it never hit home. Always makes for a good story, right? As I said, everywhere I go to Doubleday, they ask me if I'm a Doubleday publishing book company. I said, no, I uh, wish I was. <laughs> The owner of the New York Mets, Nelson Doubleday, related to him? No, but uh, it is a unique last name, but I am related to Uncle Abner. Very good. So you grew up in Syracuse, New York? Yep. Grew up 
My father was on radio and TV. Uh, he was a radio and TV personality, had an agricultural show at five o'clock every morning. That was milking time out in the uh, cattle barn. So he sort of had the uh, probably the predecessor to all the talk radio that we have nowadays. He yeah. played music for the cows and uh, had all the gossip and all the agricultural news and so forth. And he had a, a show from five to seven every morning and had a noontime TV show, a Paul Harvey type thing, you know, with mm -hmm. news and nonsense, whatever. He enjoyed that. And uh, what got us all into the horse show end of it was we had some friends who showed American Saddlebreds growing up, family, and uh, hung out with all the kids growing up and so forth in the family. And uh, one thing led to another. They asked my father, said, well, you should announce some horse shows. So he did on weekends and sort of on took a vacation once in a while. And so one thing led to another in that regard and uh, started going to horse shows as a little kid and hanging around. And I wasn't interested in horses or what he was doing or anything. I was interested in mucking stalls and taking care of horses and meeting people and chasing girls and things like that. So. Right. And then you headed off to Florida, University of Miami. I went to Syracuse University for a year. Mm -hmm. And I was in the School of Education, and I transferred to the University of Miami and spent my latter three years there, graduated with a Bachelor of Education. I had every intent of wanting to be a coach, a uh, professional referee. I thought that was really cool back then, mm -hmm. or uh, an educator in some way. Really didn't know what I wanted to do. During my senior year in college at the University of Miami, my father came down with cancer, and I had to just bail him out on a few things. The horse shows, all of a sudden, we don't have an announcer for the horse show. So right. I said, well, I didn't really pay attention to it. I sort of really was oblivious to everything. I enjoyed, I loved the horse shows. So my very first horse show was the New York State Fair in Syracuse when I, in 1972, and I was a scared little puppy dog. <laughs> I enjoyed it place was packed all the time. And I'll never forget that first year of all exhibitions and features. Now that I look back on it, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Musical Ride was the exhibition at the New York State Fair that year. And the Coliseum was packed. And that was back when the Mounties had their own live band that played their now canned music that they use for the ride. Yeah, I mean, it was just bring goosebumps down my back. I mean, when I saw them and I had a guy that cued me like uh, they do now and so forth. But it was incredible. And I'll, I'll never, ever forget that. And uh, I thought of all, God, of all things that happened, my very first horse show out. And uh, the sound man at the fairgrounds was a great friend of my father's. And uh, my father, again, was a celebrity in the area because of his radio and TV. So the double A name, he, he actually taped my first horse show uh, audio tape on a reel to reel. And, wow. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? So yeah, that's sort of how that was my very first one in. And then I went back to school. I didn't have to bail them out on any other horse shows at that point. Mm -hmm. Graduated in the spring. I was at a horse show, of course, never appeared for graduation. Same old stuff, you know, the usual stuff for the horse show. Yeah. And I asked my parents, I said, you know, I, I would like to work for some friends that have a stable out in Columbus, Ohio. And I know them. They're very close with them. And I grew up with them and so forth. They had a hunter and jumper stable and it was attached to a fox hunt in suburban Columbus, Ohio, and Gehanna, Ohio, mm -hmm. I asked my parents, do you mind if I spend a couple of years doing this sort of getting it out of my system? 
before I apply for a, a role for a teacher or a, you know track and field coach. Yeah. They said no, no. Go ahead. They they knew the, the people very well, so I asked them if I could do that. So long story short, I went to Ohio after graduation. I lived there. I took care of. They had 30 horses in a barn, muck stalls every day, did the whole nine yards. So we went to a few horse shows, fox hunted, taught some lessons, mainly just did the manual work, but I uh, did all the grunt work and, uh, and and enjoyed that. And then they eventually, you know, I kept getting some calls from horse shows that they needed announcers. And maybe it was a time that like either announcer passed away or one was sick. Uh, I got a couple other calls just out of the blue. Went to Virginia in April and so forth. But when I started working for these the, the Potter family out in Columbus, they basically said, if you want to pursue something else, we'll give you a home base. And that was fantastic. You know, they said, wow, I would just tell them I'm going to be gone two weeks out of the month of June, traveling to some Arabian show or some hunter and jumper show. I come back, still have my job go back, muck and stalls, do everything else. And so that worked out great. And so they they let me do that. And then it was from there in Ohio that while I was working for these people, you know, you get, you always get a, a break, so to speak. I was taking care of these two hunting horses for a gentleman named Bruce Sunlin, who was the president of Executive Jet, which is a, back then was the number one private Learjet corporation. They were based in Columbus, Ohio. So he had two horses there, fox hunted, did all the night, did everything. So he asked me, he knew that I was announcing horse shows. He said, we are going to make a change. I'm president of the Washington International Horse Show. We are going to make a change there. And would you be interested? I said, wow, this is almost, you know, too big for my britches at that point. And I said, you know, what the heck? I'm going to do that. I'm going to give it a try. The teams were there. The president of the United States came one night. It was just amazing. So. I did it. I thought I did a pretty good job. I prepared myself for everything. And as soon as I got done with the horse show, the phone started ringing. So. Yeah. What year are we talking? 1975? No, 1973 was Washington. Oh, wow. And then the next spring, I got getting calls. And then uh, Gene Mish called me. He said, he said, I got eight horse shows. I mean, I'm running eight horse shows, stadium jumping, and base. Are you interested? I said, sign me up. I've never heard it, but did you not used to do sort of a morning radio show at Palm Beach? Well, yeah, we when I got hired by Gene Mish and started doing shows like Lake Placid and a couple of shows on Long Island, the Hampton Classic in its uh, original state and so forth, I met David Disler and David was my starter, sort of like you. And yep. he wanted to be a writer. And so he wrote some scripts out. He, he sent actually sent scripts out to Hollywood for mash and a few other things that that was his early ambition to do things and he was a, a groom and a caretaker and rode a little bit and then ended up sort of like i did into the officiating or the staff members of a worship so anyways we we got together and we interviewed people and uh you know i had the morning sports and things like that and we would get on the air about an hour hour and a half before showtime out in the barn area and do a little 15 minute uh radio show or like a Howard Stern type show. That's fun. Right, so it was called the Peter and David show. I love that. 
We don't still do it, do you? No, we did it probably five or six years. We had bumper stickers made. <laughs> That's good. But we had fun doing it and a lot of people enjoyed it. And from all the nightlife we were involved with, you could always kind of get a little few little jabs in on the PA system. You know, we saw so-and-so down at the local dance hall last night and things like that. And people kind of liked all that little little news and nonsense, you know, lost dogs, uh, you know, horses that got loose in the middle of the night, we'd report on them and yeah. things like that. Interviewed the uh, the Portage on man, uh, <laughs> you know, the guy who takes the manure out, things like that. So we just did yeah. little bits and pieces. So. Entertainment. How did you get hooked up with telecasting for ESPN and uh, TSN? Well, the sort of one thing led to another uh, with announcing and, and I ended up announcing very rapidly a lot of very nice horse shows. I know in Canada and worldwide, they were always interested, but in the U.S., they were not interested in our sport. Mm -hmm. And finally, they did. And finally, we had some connections through, uh, you know, the breweries and so forth. And Bud Sports had their own cable network back in its infancy. And boom. So we uh, they they were all of a sudden televising our events, mostly taped events. Very few were live. They never wanted to try that. So anyways, they would always ask me. It was always nice because my managers that I worked for, I said, no, we can't give him up because we want him to do the public address speak. But with all my homework and everything that I tried really hard to do and get to know the players really well. And back then you really could. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's tougher. You knew their personalities. You knew their families, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was probably the only one who really had that all that knowledge and all that background on all these people and their horses. And actually, I'm a sports addict, so I really uh, wanted to install some ideas that I would get from watching a hockey game or watching a baseball game. I said, huh, let's try to use this, these stats or these things in show jumping. Yeah. So one thing led to another. But So I did a few. I did a couple of simulcasts, actually. Believe it or not, I announced the event to the public. And then once the horse went through the starting markers in a show jumping event, I was on TV commentating with uh, a color person. Wow. And then when the horse went through the finish line, I would announce a score to both TV and so forth. And then basically go into, they'd be recording still my spiel between horses or the next horse would come in, give a little bio on that. That went on TV. Uh, and then I was specifically on TV. That was kind of difficult, a little awkward at times, but um, that's how I got in, actually got involved. And again, one thing led to another. Back in the mid-70s, uh, we were introduced to uh, International Management Group, IMG, which was a sports agency. Mm-hmm. And they had all the top names, Arnold Palmer, Jean-Claude Keeley as a, as a skier, major tennis players. Uh, they had all the all the big guns. All of a sudden, they were interested in our horses. So I got involved with them, and they got my foot in the door at a few places, ESPN for one example. And, and that wasn't associated with being at a horse show, but it was through right. them that they would take a percentage out of your paycheck and so forth. So uh, through through IMG, and that, that lasted a couple of years. They wanted to actually manage all of my money. I said, no, no. I <laughs> if you get me a gig then you can have the percentage of that paycheck from that gig. So so anyway, so we did some of that and they had some other projects and they actually had signed up maybe, I think it was three big name riders, mm-hmm. show jumping riders back then. Mm-hmm. 
trying to promote them. So every once in a while, you'd see a, a, an ad, a commercial on TV, and there was Bernie Traurig in a commercial yeah. for blue jeans. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. So anyway, that didn't last very long, but then one thing led to another and was able to get some opportunities in, up in Canada with TSN, with the Royal Winter Fair and so forth. I was able to attach some things too. So that's how that all happened. And then when did Horshow management fit in? Management and co-management, how and when did that fit in to your already busy schedule, it seems? Well, it was, it was an incredibly busy <laughs> schedule. It was like over 40 weeks on the, on the road. The, uh, the show management uh, is the next progression for what I was doing because as an announcer, you're basically producing the event. You're the, the eyes and the ears and so forth. You're making this run. You're calling people up, doing, doing this and doing that. So I learned through a lot of that, basically, that people were – and I started from uh, people say, are you interested in managing a small little show in, in my town here in Southern Pines? I said, yeah, why not? So we did it. You know, we'd lay out the water pipe and string the lights in the tents and put up the PA system and did all of that. And then one thing led to another. They said, well, somebody else would come by and said, well, we need a manager at our horse show. So that's how that all progressed. And basically mid 80s uh, sort of took off in that regard. And and there were some openings. And again, you have to be at the right place at the right time. By then I was announcing the Devon Horse Show in Philadelphia. A couple of years later, they were looking for a new manager. Harrisburg, same way. The Royal Winter Fair, I was hired on early 80s to be their announcer. And then when uh, Marge Dennis stepped down, and I think it was 1999, they said, are you interested? Would you come in for an interview? So you seem to know the horse show inside and out. So I said, by all means, I'd love to. I'd love to give it a try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a natural progression, basically moving up to that point and then still having a little piece of the announcing action and so forth. Was there anyone that seems pivotal to you in that phase of your life when you made that shift from announcing to managing? Were there you know, specific people that you sort of worked with all the time to give you more of an education on the behind the scenes or the back end of the horse show rather than the front end? Well, I don't think there are any specific person. Um, I would say I learned a great deal from Gene Mish, who I worked mm -hmm. for, you know, maybe 10 weeks of the year uh, with everything that was going on from behind the scenes and how to set things up and why this works and why that doesn't work. But I would say my education moving up the ranks, even though I'm a hunter jumper kind of a guy, I have to go back and say, because of what I was exposed to as a, as a kid, because my father did a lot of all-breed horse shows as an announcer. And then the people that I met through all the years uh, in announcing, and, and actually in my early years of announcing horse shows, I, I did as every living horse show that asked me to announce. And they were Appaloosa shows, quarter horse shows, yeah. Morgan, Saddlebreds. Uh, as I said, majority of them were hunter and jumpers, but I still did all of that. So actually, so I learned what really needed to go on behind the scenes. How do you get a hackney pony ready? Right. Or a six horse hitch. How long did that take? So those are all the things that, that I was fortunate enough to care about and paid attention to because a lot of people nowadays say, well, you're the, about the only all breed person there is. That's important. And that's important to me. And I was actually able to apply what I thought was, uh, in my announcing, what was really cool that worked at the World Championship 
Saddlebred Show in Louisville in August, I would use for the World Cup finals in Las Vegas the next spring. Just right. personal touches, uh, things that we did that worked. So I, I could cross-reference everything. But to get back to your question there, I think I cared about them. Uh, we go to horse shows, go to all breed shows. And back then, way back then, they were all sort of focused on their own little world. So somebody would come up and say, oh, you're a hunter and jumper guy, so you don't care about what the uh, harness ponies are, what they need. I said, I do. Yeah. You're just as important as uh, one of our top Olympic show jumpers. So. Yeah. So I know that at some of the horse shows, actually, I only know of the Royal in which you manage and you also announce. Are there others that you do both roles? The Devon Horse Show, that's 10 days in late May, early June. And I will announce the Grand Prix and a few important events there. Uh, mm-hmm. Harrisburg, the same way. Some of the other shows, earlier shows, when I was managing a lot of other shows, uh, Bloomfield Hills, uh, Michigan, I would announce Grand Prix night. I'd be free all day. I'd have my own announcers, but then I would just either announce with my regular announcer or do it myself. Right. Saturday nights out in Detroit. So things like that. How do you prepare for that? Um, I mean, that has to be hard. I know that when you're a manager, you're on 24-7 pretty much, especially at the Royal. How do you do both? How do you stay in touch with doing what you're doing now when you're announcing, but then also being aware of what else is going on at the horse show? We'll use the Royal Winter Fair as an example. Yeah. So the Royal Winter Fair, I will know the 24 show jumping riders before I come up there. I will make sure that I've done all of their bios. They have to be brief because they're not not a lot of time. You have to be specific uh, or what are the most important things. So you don't have a lot of time to talk about it when you're doing the public address speaking. So I will be all prepared there. I'll make sure that I know everything about the World Cup qualifying. I'll have that all, all my notes, everything done. I can fine tune them during the show when I have a minute or two. But uh, basically, I think be over prepared. And so I can just step into the role. Same thing like with Green Meadows, uh, the forehand coaching. You know, I have bios on all the, the, the coaches and uh, the people who show them and the horses and so forth. So, again, I know who is going to be there beforehand. So I do spend a lot of time before I leave home to go to an event. This is a question of opinion, but do you feel like that is sort of a lost art? Very, very much so. All my, not to, no knock on, I've got a lot nope. of great colleagues and great friends and so forth. But yeah, I don't really know too many people who really do spend a lot of time on things. Uh, another example, uh, Louisville, Kentucky for the final night in Louisville, when I announced there to a, usually a packed house and so forth, it's their greatest night of their year. It's a world championship for saddlebreds and hackney ponies. But to be able to do some homework beforehand of maybe little phrases and little things. Not that I have to educate the crowd because they all know what they're looking at in Kentucky, but Mm -hmm. to inform them a little differently, get them involved a little bit differently and so forth. And that's fun. I I just love doing that. And I keep dates on, so I don't use the same old stuff or same old shtick year after year. I kind of mix it all up and so forth. So, so that's fun. and, And that's sort of a challenge within myself to, continue to be better and to be be fresh and be brighter mm-hmm. and to engage, educate, and inform, basically. Do you ever find yourself getting nervous announcing? Oh, yeah. The Olympic Games. Yeah, the Olympic Games was quite the experience, but I still get nervous on big events, even though I'm very comfortable in doing them. And I think the day that I don't get nervous, then it's just <laughs> going to be blasé. It's not going to mean anything. 
right. the Atlanta Olympics um, on that first morning. I, I was working all summer long down there as, a, as another event coordinator. And then when show jumping started, I announced the show jumping. And the first morning, I'll never forget when you know I had uh, earpiece in my ear and the, my producers counting down and the Olympic music starts. And, uh, you know, it was just incredible. You had a script to begin with. 30,000 people sitting out in the broiling sun at nine o'clock on that morning. I, again, I'll never forget it, you know, counting down on my ear. And as soon as I said one word, the crowd, I was in a enclosed booth with the judges and the timers and my producer and uh, air conditioned. Thank goodness. When first word out of my mouth on the PA system at nine o'clock or whatever, five of nine before we started, the place went crazy. Like, Come on, let's bring it on. We let's get right. going. Once I got through my script and the first horse was cantering in to, to go for their Olympic medals, I thought, here we go. So, and I, and one little aside there, we the first time I had ever used a a microphone box that had a the push buttons. I use them on TV a lot, and uh, mm-hmm. use them at the Royal. Uh, you push it in, and then you push it in again to release it and deactivate your sound. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous about leaving it on by mistake and so forth, especially in a soundproof booth. Well, that's all I could think about all day long. Push the button in, push the button in again to deactivate. So I got all the way in and it was a team competition. It lasted 12 hours with 20 teams. And because we had a rainstorm, we had a delay, we had stopped. Finally, like at 6.30 in the evening, we'd been there for, well, actually it was longer than that. It was, as I said, around 12 hours. The award ceremonies are starting. The teams, the German team won the gold. They're coming out with their chef to keep and so forth, going to the podium. We had done all the rehearsals and so forth. And I got all the way over. They already got over to the podium behind under horses. And I forgot to push the button out. And I turned, just turned to my producer. He was on a headset. But I said, do you want them to get off their horses now? And that went over the PA system out oh, no. in the middle, and they all got off their horses. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd laughed a little bit. I thought, God, yeah. I made it all the way to the <laughs> till twelve hours, and I forgot to turn the <laughs> microphone off. But anyway, that's one little thing that I always. Remember. Would you say is that your worst hiccup? Have you ever said something accidentally, or had it come out the wrong way, or? I can't really recall a specific thing, but that is my worst thing. You know, when you get to the horse show in the morning, I always make sure that they. If you're setting your stuff up in your announcer's stand, to make sure that the little switch on the microphone is off, because I've had other people, as soon as they get there, they don't really, you know, they have their microphone laying there from the night before, and maybe somebody, the cleaners or something like that, might have pushed the switch up. Yeah. You know how that happens. Worst nightmare. (laughs) Oh, it is worst nightmare. My father had a couple of boo boos, but uh, I was pretty good. I don't think I ever had a real major problem. So you mentioned you used to be on the road for 40 weeks a year. Do you still maintain a hefty schedule like that? Uh, Negative on that. I've been able to cut back a little bit, and I like it that way. I think that was very eager on my part, and I I couldn't turn people down. I I Mm -hmm. felt bad about it. The one thing as I moved up when I was on the road over 40 weeks of the year, it was really difficult when somebody, let's say the Hampton Classic calls, wants you to come and announce their show next year and you are doing a horse show somewhere else that might be a four-day horse show with Arabians, Morgans, whatever. And they're all very important. So now what do I do? 
and they this show I've been doing for five or six years. So I, I went to my dad. I remember I never forget my dad. He says, "Don't ever forget where you started." And if you were actually very honest with these people, I think they might appreciate you are trying to move up the ladder a little bit. And if they understand that, they would do that. But I end up forget him telling me that. He said, sometimes you're better off staying at that all breed show. And maybe the Hamptons might come back around. I know you don't want to miss the opportunity to go to these things. But to answer your question, I'm uh, down to probably 23, 24 weeks of the year. Yeah. Just three management jobs, four management jobs, really, and announcing the rest of the time. I like that. Why do you keep doing it? I love what I do. Yeah. I love being home. I love being home more and more nowadays. Yeah. I guess that comes with age and whatever, but I enjoy doing the big events. I enjoy the Saturday nights in Wellington, the World Cup finals in Las Vegas. I enjoy the really cool events and the shows that I manage when I get to announce uh, to a big crowd and an enthusiastic crowd. That's what spurs me on. The adrenaline gets going. I, I don't necessarily miss, I probably would miss all my friends if I just gave it up completely, but that's part of the incentive, basically. Well, at this stage in my career, I still want to try to do things differently, better, and not be yep. locked into what I've done for 45 years. Yeah. Do you have anything that uh, resonates with you that's like your biggest accomplishment in life? Probably my biggest accomplishment in life, probably twofold. I would say when I first announced, and I don't know how I actually survived, but one of my biggest accomplishments was announcing all four of the indoor North American horse shows, Harrisburg, Washington, back when the national was at Madison Square Garden, and then taking the trip up to Toronto for the Royal Winter Fair. And to me, just trying to stay healthy, enthusiastic, keeping my voice, and just thought, wow. Nobody's ever done this before. I would say the other big achievement would be having announced all the major show jumping events, uh, meaning the World Cup finals numerous times, the Olympics, Pan American Games twice, and the World Equestrian Games, which just happened a couple years ago. To me, that that's the ultimate in, in what I was trying to do, and that would be right up there. Mm-hmm. What does the next uh, 10 or 15 years look like for you? Next 10 or 15 years will probably, I don't plan on traveling and going to horse shows as much. I, I feel like I need to continue to back off a little bit. I enjoy being home. I would like to be able to spend more time traveling to places I've never been to before I get really old and can't do it mm-hmm. and spend time with my family. Everybody keeps saying, well, when are you going to retire? I said, well, two years. You know, and then two years come up and say, well, two more years. Right. I really don't know uh, at this stage of the game. I don't want to be around the horse shows like a lot of my old friends used to be saying, gee, I wonder when that guy's going to quit, you know? And I said, people would say that about others. And I, I don't want mm-hmm. people to ever do that. I want to go out on my own. I don't want somebody mm-hmm. to come up to me and say, you know, we need to make a change or, you know, it's just not fresh anymore. So that's to me is very important. So I can see myself backing off completely. Um, there are other things I want to do, golf course management. I want to learn how to uh, grow Bermuda grass on a beautiful green on a championship golf course and so forth. I want to, I want that I want to learn. I live in an area that's got 75 golf courses within about a 10 minute radius of my house. So I really feel that I can do that. I could do that. 
physically, I could do that. I could be outdoors. I could be close to home, sleep in my own bed. So things like that. That's where I want to go to. And I really, truly think that's going to happen. Very good. No offense, but not going to another workshop. <laughs> no offense taken. I can relate to your story because I similarly used to travel a lot in a different capacity. And I also similarly did that indoor circuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand why you might want to push back from that a little. It's a lot of work, a lot of travel and hard to maintain a good balance in life. It's tough. I got a great family. Uh, I've got a great wife. I have eight animals that I'm responsible for, or she is basically most of the time. But uh, And we got a nice little farm and uh, and so forth. And again, I don't want to just give up working. I want to do no. things. I, I enjoy playing golf, but uh, the golf would lead to learning how to take care of courses. Even if I got up at five every morning and did pin placements at the local golf course and maybe mowed some greens or whatever, that to me would be very exciting and fun and have the rest of the day to do whatever I want to do. Yeah, that does sound interesting. My final question before we get to our last segment is uh, I'm interested to hear if you have any advice for maybe a new up-and-coming announcer or a manager or a broadcaster that's trying to break into the business in the same sort of capacity. What would you uh, recommend they do to start? I would recommend that they volunteer and work at the lowest level you can get to. Don't think that you can do... uh, the big stuff right away. Maybe if you don't have to volunteer, but maybe get paid to do some small shows, one day, two day horse shows, learn uh, the segment, uh, learn the rules and learn uh, learn about the people, how to handle people. That's the main thing. That's the biggest thing, I guess, in any business or any, any vocation, basically. But I think it's very important to work your way up from there. I have some friends that actually got pushed into, you know, a role. And I don't think that they appreciate anything. Uh, I think you really have to, from the ground up, get involved with with show managers and say, look, this is what I like to do. Can I announce the back ring for the next two weeks or something like that? Mm -hmm. That's all, basically. I think that's very important. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the what's and why's for your listening pleasure. Who do you look up to and why? I look up to sportscasters, major sportscasters, and I can name uh, the Jim Nances, the Bob Costas, um, the uh, Ben Scullys, people that are legendary names in sports. As I said, I'm a sports addict. Uh, I've always looked up to them, always sort of wanted to be them, envied what they did because they did so well. Uh, Jim McKay mm-hmm. on ABC Wild World of Sports. I thought, how cool is that? When I first met him, I just melted. So people like that, and I enjoy listening. I enjoy what they do, how educated they are, and all the homework, and appreciate all the homework. Too. So I would say, to me, that's the biggest thing besides maybe my dad. Right. And your dad because? He's your dad? My dad. He was my dad, but uh, he got me into it, basically, you know, through, uh, or you could say, osmosis. <laughs> I was just, right. it was just a little kid tagging around to horse shows, yep. and who knows? I had no idea what I was going to do, and all of a sudden, boom. Turned out great. But I wish I'd paid attention to him a little bit more, but I appreciate what he did. Not to digress a little bit, but when I first started announcing horse shows, and he had passed away, I looked through his the, all his desks and his closet and so forth. He had these little index cards written out and breed descriptions and this and that. And I thought, huh, I should be doing that. Right. So that's what I did. Did my homework. 
So that's the takeaway for our listeners is pay attention to what your parents are doing because you never know where it's going to lead you. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So what's something that brings you joy and why? My family, my little dog, Sophie, my little Jack Russell. I would say basically my family. I inherited a big family when I married Chrissy and big Irish family. That's been probably the most influence on everything and actually trying to keep me staying at home more, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> When you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? Probably the decision of going, uh, of working for these great friends in Ohio. You know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'd probably be mucking stalls uh, the rest of my life. Who knows? It just is mind boggling to, to look back on that. And that was a big, probably a big decision, like not to become a teacher or a coach right away. Yeah. Let's get this out of your system. And so, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that just one thing led to another. And I had a, I was very ambitious. I tried to do my homework and try to do a, a very good job. Mm -hmm. And that's how that all worked out. What's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? Sometimes they probably, they might think that I'm, I'm not a loner. I love people, but I think um, I do enjoy my own space. And I think people think, eh, he's not sociable or anything like that at work shows. I'm a worker. Mm-hmm. As you know, as a show manager or announcer or so forth, I'm on the go. I don't really have a lot of time to talk to people. I love people. I love everybody that I'm dealing with and all that they represent. But I would say that's the one thing. And uh, I have no problem at a horse show going back to the hotel or whatever, sitting at the bar by myself, enjoying yeah. a cold beer. People think, yeah. mind if we join? I said, no, not at all. But I'm just saying that's something I think people think that, he doesn't like to do anything with anybody, but I do. It's the one opportunity at the end of the day when you don't have to necessarily be on. You can just be off, turn yourself off and sit by yourself for a while and be in your own yeah. thoughts. I don't want to talk to people because right? <laughs> they, they come into me constantly, which that's my job. Yeah. That's my job at a horse show, but I enjoy being by myself and uh, yeah. always have been, always enjoyed it. Well, we're going to give you an opportunity to tell us who you'd like to hear on What's Your Why as a guest next and why. That was a good question. I, I would like to, uh, if we're talking about, are we talking about the horse show world or are we talking about? No, we're talking about anybody in the world. Anybody in the, in, in the whole world. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear you interview one of my idols would be uh, a recording, uh, you know, a sportscaster like a Jim Nance. Or um, people like a Bob Costas. I, I, again, I just marvel at what they do. I would enjoy hearing them a little more relaxed. I know they do a lot of probably interviews and so forth. And basically, any major sporting figure. Mm -hmm. uh, I love hockey. I'd love to. I'd love to have uh, have Wayne Gretzky on. You know, and yeah. uh, and I love golf. And I would love to see somebody like. Uh, a Phil Mickelson or somebody who really likes to relate to the crowd and so forth. Um, I enjoy that. Uh, I would enjoy hearing from that. Very good. Well, Peter Doubleday, thank you very much for your time, your energy, and uh, most of all for saying yes. I enjoy our relationship. I enjoy our friendship. My very, very, very best favorite part of you is that you are the voice and you drive a car with a license plate. That says that's right, yeah. the voice. The fact that you're wearing a Canadian t-shirt is, that's unbelievable to me too. <laughs> Toronto 2015, 
Go That's Canada Go. American. They didn't sell too many souvenirs, but I did get this. So it's amazing. But, uh, no, I've enjoyed it, and thank you very much for allowing me to put a little nickel in the wayback machine. And here we are. Absolutely, we appreciate it. Well, thank you. That sort of wraps us up. And until next time, folks, uh, follow all the social media channels, stay in touch with us, and uh, tune into What's Your Why for any future episodes. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why, our listeners, guests, and our sponsors, too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning, but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.